0: We're going to be looking uh, at the third uh, piece of this sermon on knowing, growing, and going. And uh, today we're going to talk about going for the Savior. And if you can see the screen there, 2 Kings 7-9 is the verse uh, that I'm going to use, and it's the text that I'm going to uh, jump from. And it's interesting, You probably, when you read this or see it, you're going to say, well, what what in the world is he going to do with this? And there's a ton of text that we could use. If we want to talk about going for the Savior... I mean, the Bible, that's literally the story of the Bible, is to go for the Savior. So there's all kinds of stuff we could use. I have opted to use this text. It's been a a favorite of mine. I think there's some really good truth that we can glean from it. You may remain seated. I'm going to put this on the screen, but I'd like us to read this together as a congregation. 2 Kings 7, 9. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So, Lord, this is your word for us today, and I'm going to pray that you take and use this word, first in my own heart, as you have, had, but also in the hearts of all those that would hear. pray this in Jesus' name amen well again welcome to those on our live stream we're grateful to have you grateful to have uh, so many on campus today too it's a real blessing uh, to be able to come and to share and going to speak today about this idea of the day of good news and you know I made comment in the e-newsletter about Gloria and I we make supper at night and Gloria always she makes almost all the food Uh, but then so we watch TV only when we're preparing we don't watch TV during supper that's we don't do that But we watch beforehand, so she gets to pick the station because she's preparing the food. And invariably, and I just, I hate, I I don't, I dislike this. I can't say that word. Um, We always watch the news. And the news is depressing. Have you guys ever noticed that? I mean, you watch the news, and man, it is just depressing. And I mean, I'd rather watch like ESPN or something fun, right? Uh, but we watch the news. But as I watch it, I'm thinking to myself, you know, we need to know what's going on. I, I get that. But oftentimes, it's bad news. And, and I thought about that today, and I thought about this sermon and thought about this text. And it says, this is the day of good news. And I'd like to take this text and build upon a theme Of this nature says what makes the good news good so what makes the good news good we're not going to be able to avoid the inevitability of bad news in our world but what makes the good news good and I'd like to illustrate three truths I think that we can take from this text to show us why the good news is good truth number one real simple good news is something that is needed Good news is something that is needed. And I could go back and talk about the news example we started with today, but let's go to the scripture and let's see what's going on uh, even in this scripture to find out what's happening here, because there is a huge need. Notice what happens here, verse 6:25, uh, chapter six, verse 25. It says, there was a great famine in Samaria. Now, I need to backtrack a little bit here. We're going to be talking a little bit about chapter 6 and and about chapter 7. And the context is this. We're talking the northern kingdom of Samaria. There's a guy by the name of Ben-Hadid, who is the king of Syria. And Ben-Hadid had come down and had invaded the northern kingdom. And at this time, the prophet that was prophesying was a guy by the name Elisha. Uh, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. And Elisha uh, had had just talked with the king, and Elisha, now un, unknown to the guys we're to talk about later, unknown to them, Elisha had already told the king uh, that this was going to turn out uh, for the good. But what was going on? It says there was a great, uh, there was a great famine in Samaria. And there, were, there was a circumstance where a, a, a famine had come. And what a famine, what that meant is that uh, Syria had besieged the, the city. They had come around, and that was a common method of war is that the opposing army would come in and, and they would surround the city, not allowing anyone in or out. So the provision that you had in your city, that was all that you had. Now, the, the sad situation is this, is this was a very dire situation circumstance, dire strait if you would, not the band either. That's a dire strait was going on here. This was a very difficult situation. Ben Hadid had surrounded the city, and literally how bad it was is illustrated in chapter six. And I'm not sharing this in order to gross you out or disgust you, but this is one of those things that's in the Bible that when you read it you just go, this is mind-boggling but this is going to show you how bad things were at that time and how good news was definitely needed. Go with me back to chapter six, verse twenty-five, talk about the great famine in Samaria, And then notice there was a conversation recorded between the king of Samaria and a woman that he met walking around the city. And the woman uh, was talking about, you, we, we need some help, we need some help. And the king said to her in verse 28, and the king said, what is the matter with you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow so we boiled my son and ate him and I said to her on the next day give your son that we may eat him but she has hidden him from us now if that just doesn't churn your stomach and make you disgusted I don't know what will what's going on here they were cooking and eating their children that's what's going on here that's the desperate need that was going on and you, we, we have needs this one here this was a dire strait I'm telling you this is a sin even of cannibalism. And what's interesting is you read through the Old Testament, you see Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And in fact, this is not the only account of cannibalism in the Bible, by the way. But it's one of it's one of the main ones. It just grips you, and it's so sad. But you know what? You know what cannibalism was. It was part of the covenant curses. When you read through Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you're going to see these covenant curses that God says, "This is what's going to come upon you if you do not follow Me, or if you follow idols." And that's exactly what the nation of Israel was undergoing. They were reaping what they had sown, and it's absolutely disgusting. But that's what was going on here. That this is so great. The need. Uh, there was such starvation that they were eating their young. This is so sad. And then there's another group of guys we're going to be introduced to. It's four lepers. Now picture this. You're in, you're in this town. It's, it's horrible. But if you were a leper, what were you? you yeah, you are absolutely, you were a complete outcast. When we read of leprosy in the Bible, when you, when you contracted leprosy, what immediately happened to you in the community? No matter who you were, what immediately happened to you? You were sent out you you had nothing to do they sent you it was a horrible debilitating disease that that struck the people of Israel and it was interesting because these guys and these four lepers that were introduced to in chapter seven they are outside the city wall they're outside there and and they there' they can't come in the city but they're held outside of the city and these guys literally they were as good as dead. <laughs> to, to have leprosy, you know, death was almost inevitable. You were banished from the community. And I want us to think about that, that, that that's the place that these guys were at. So there's a huge need in the city itself. There, these lepers have this huge need. Uh, believe me, there was, there was good news that was needed. And when I was reflecting on this message and thinking about this, when we look at the Old Testament, when we think about leprosy, what is leprosy equated to in the Old Testament, leprosy is equated with sin. And then I thought about that that death sentence. And then I think of a passage such as Romans chapter six, verse twenty-three, that says, "What the wages of sin is what death." And it caused me to realize. <laughs> That yes, the people of Samaria and those lepers, they, 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 they had a death sentence, they needed some good news. But you know something, so too we, right? That, that, that we too need to hear that good news because the news around us oftentimes is so desperately bad. So we need to hear that good news. Good news is something that's needed. That's point number one from this text. Point number two regards God and the good news. And it's simply this. The good news is something that God gives. The good news is something that God gives. Now, go with me back into chapter 7, and you're going to notice something that happens here. Verse 3, we're introduced to the four lepers, uh, and then notice in verse 3, this says, why do we sit here until we die? They were just outside the city. They said, why do we sit here till we die? Uh, they said, if we enter the city, we die a famine. If we sit here, we also die. Come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans and if they spare us we will live and if they kill us uh, we will die. So I, I, love, I love verse 3 and verse 4 and, and what this reminds me of that, that these men, these four lepers they had no choice they were brought to a place that their only option was to cast themselves on the mercy of another they had to cast themselves upon the mercy of another and the picture that I gained as I was thinking, as I was thinking this through, they were, they were in hard spot too. <laughs> you know, they, they had this, the, the, the city was behind them. They were outside the wall. The Syrian army was in front of them. They, they were doomed men. They had no option. They had no wherewithal except to cast themselves on the mercy of others. And what that symbolized for me, what that brought to mind for me is this is that there comes a time, I believe, in all of our lives when we have to come to an end of ourselves. I think that applies to all of us. There is a point in our lives where we all have to come to an end of ourselves. And you know what happens when we come to an end of ourselves? It enables up the opportunity for God to work. Come to an end of ourselves opens up an opportunity for God to work. And I believe that's what happened here in this text and on a larger scale, is that as these people, these men came to an end of themselves, there was an opening there now for God to be at work and indeed should we be surprised what, what happened, you guys know the story a little bit if you go on back verses 5 and 6 what, what did God do, yeah God did, God did indeed show up uh, he sent the Arameans into disray uh, they, the whole army fled uh, they, they thought that the king of Israel had hired a bunch of Hittites and Egyptians uh, which they didn't of course and what do we do we witness the plentitude of God's power and of his authority worked out in real life and, and what I, when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, this is so neat. And yet, you know something? It shouldn't surprise us, should it? Should should this working of God in a miraculous way surprise us? It, it shouldn't. When we read through the Bible, the Bible literally has example after example of God working in situations that humanly seem impossible. And I say this today because there are some of you today that are in a situation that seems humanly impossible. And by the way, It is. We, we need to trust in God and that we need to look to God and we need to rely upon his miraculous intervention. And as I go through the scripture, we see that. How about Moses? He led the people out of, uh, out of Egypt and uh, they were going and the things were going good. They were walking along and then all of a sudden the Egyptians come up behind them and they come to a place, the Red Sea's in front of them, and oh, woe is me. We're in trouble. What did God do? <laughs> did that mess up God? No, he parted the Red Sea. The people go out into the wilderness and all of a sudden they're thirsty. What's Moses do? He summons water from a rock, calls down manna from heaven. We see this example over and over in Scripture. We see the example, of course, of Gideon. Remember the, the horde of the Midianites that came up against Gideon? And Gideon came out, he rallied the troops and went out. And what did God say? Oh, Gideon, you got too many guys here. Let's whittle this down a little bit. Let's get down to 300 guys, by the way. And they, they overcome the Midianite army. We think of the Assyrians, remember that accounting of Assyria and King Hezekiah, and they came down, they surrounded the city of Jerusalem, 185,000 soldiers strong, and what happened? The people get up, and what had happened? The, The Assyrian army is destroyed We read of of Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace, of course. What an impossible situation. What an impossible circumstance. And yet God delivers. We think of Daniel in the lion's den and so on and so on and so on and go on and on and on. I want to tell you something. God specializes in those situations that are impossible. And we would see account after account of God having the authority and the ability to work through situations that are very, very difficult. And I want to encourage us today with that through this account. And then I want us to observe something. Who is the first witness of this miraculous mercy that God showed to the people? Who is the first witness of that? The lepers. <laughs> These outcasts. These guys that nobody wanted no one to do with. They were the first recipients of this measure of God's grace and of his mercy. And I love that. And, and they go out, and there was this great proof, if you would, of this. They go out, and they go into the camp, and the camp is completely empty. The, the Armenians uh, had just had vanished. They, they just ran away. They left, and they left all their stuff there. <laughs> they left it all there. And, and I thought about how, how God provided then and how he provides now. He provided then through an empty camp. And he provides for us today through what? An empty camp tomb God's promises are still good we have his assurance because we look to an empty cross and we look to an empty tomb and because of that we can know that, that God is indeed for us and if God is for us who can be against us and there's a, there's a promise and there's a joy that we can have in that and we, and we need that we need that good news and know this dear friends It is only God that can provide that good news. This good news comes from his hand. So good news is something we need and good news is something God gives. And then to truth number three that we need to see, good news is something that we share. Good news is something we share. Now, if you would go back uh, to chapter 7. Uh, beginning in verse, verse 9 contains about the rest of what I'm going to talk about today. It says, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us and I'm going to encourage you highlight this in your Bible. Let us go and tell the king's household. First of all, observe. Verse 9, This is a day of good news the word in the hebrew is especially applicable in this context because it's a proclamation of military victory so this was this was a good news this is a proclamation of good news that was to be given to the people there had been a great victory by god's hand and this was something uh, that was to be told this this was that good news now what was the response initially of the lepers if you read through that as some of you are kind of looking at that what did they do they, they went out to the camp of the Syrians and they found them gone and they started to eat 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 they grabbed some stuff and they came back and then they buried it they were going to keep it for themselves then they went back again did the same thing uh, so they, they had a change of mind though and that's where verse 9 comes in and it says what we are doing is what not right it's wrong and what were they doing They were keeping the good news to themselves. That's what they were doing. They were going to keep it all to themselves. And I want you to think of something, that we would automatically in this life, if we had a monopoly on certain material goods or if we we were withholding the blessing of those material goods for somebody in need, we would would find that uh, sinful. We wouldn't want to do that. And yet it's interesting, we hold as believers, those of you that are believers, you hold within you the greatest of all treasures, and yet, what do we often do? We keep it to ourselves. We, we hold it in. And, and, and it's not right. Do you see that? It's not right. And sadly, I, I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's true. I think a lot of Christians suffer from spiritual constipation. <laughs> We're a constipated people. We go to 100,000 Bible studies. We watch YouTube videos. I'm going to go home today and watch three other Summers on YouTube. On and on and on and on. But we just keep it all into ourselves. What do we need to do? To, to be unconstipated, what's got to happen? You got to let it out. You got to let it out. And sadly, I'm afraid that oftentimes we are content with keeping that news to ourselves. And notice what the text says, go and tell. Observe something. First of all, that word go, is that an active word or a passive word? It's pretty active. In fact, it's almost, it's a command, go and tell. It's not just sit here and wait for them to come to us but rather is to go and tell. And I think sometimes we get this idea, we want, you know, people, well, a lot of churches are attractional, and that, that's okay. But I want us to see that our call isn't just to be attractional, but rather it's to go and to tell. That's the idea here, that we are to be active in that, that we're not just to be passive and to sit back, but we are to be active in the proclamation of God's word. Now notice this too, when I say go and tell, I think this includes both what we say and what we do. I don't think this is all just simply a proclamation verbally or a sharing of the gospel verbally. I think we also share the gospel through our deeds, of course, and, and how we interact with others. The, the, the service that we render onto our community and onto our family, all of those are a way by which also we, what, go and tell. And when we think about this command, if you would, of going, tell, I want you to think of something. We have this before us as a command. It is a command of Scripture. Go and make disciples. Go and tell. We see it over and over again. In fact, just this week, I was reading in the Gospel of Mark, Mark thirteen ten It says, the Gospel must first be preached to all the nations. <laughs> they must first be preached to all the nations. That's a command that we have to go and to tell. We also, I believe, have a necessity to do so. Do you realize that at this given moment, I, I forgot to even, I looked it up, there's literally countless of millions of people that have never heard the name Jesus. Ne- never heard the name Jesus. We have a responsibility, I believe, to go and to share uh, that, that, that good news. It's a, it's a necessity. We have to do it. And that's why I, I get excited when folks from our congregation uh, have, have an urgency to do just that. Sarah Mayfield (laughs) going to Japan praise God has had that on her heart for a couple years I I pray that we would support her that we we would want to see her successful I love that Andy Olson Pastor Andy Olson he was our intern several years ago and and he's now with an organization that he and his wife work with uh, John 3.16 their goal is to get John 3.16 translated into every language known to man (laughs) tall order (laughs) But when you know Andy, it doesn't surprise any of us if that's what his goal is. I love Craig DeWitt this week. <laughs> Praise God he's home, by the way, right? But going down to Haiti, we love Haiti. We love, we love ministering down there. I, I think of, of Darren Dykstra and, and Matt Dykstra ministering down in Tanzania. We're, we're, we're thankful for those opportunities. Anna Van Leeuwen was here first service. She's undergoing the process of applying to go over uh, to Uganda on a missions trip as well A Sioux Falls Christian. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. I want you to know today that, that that's part of that commission we have to go and to tell. And, and it is, I believe, a necessity because there are literally millions of people who have never heard the name Jesus. And I believe finally it's our responsibility, of course. Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet that bring good news. And and that's a responsibility that we have. Just as the lepers realized in this text, we have that same responsibility to go and to tell. And I know that at this point in the sermon, some of you are probably thinking, well, you know, I'm not going to go to Tanzania, and I am not much on Haiti, and... And I'm not even saying you gotta go downtown today and get a box and stand in a box and hand out tracts. I'm not even saying that. But I am asking you this. Can you pray today about how God would use you to go and tell? And what I've discovered oftentimes is that God places in front of us those that are closest to us. It might very well be a classmate tomorrow in class, might be somebody in the workplace tomorrow. You know what? It could even be your spouse or one of your children that that need to hear the precious word of Jesus Christ. And my prayer today is that we would recognize that we don't have to travel halfway around the world to speak of Jesus. We can do it right here in our sphere of influence for those that God places in front of us. And that when we do so, we would recognize that what we speak about is Jesus. (laughs) The forgiveness that we can know in Christ, the peace that we can experience in a relationship with Him, and, and the forgiveness of our sins, the, the hope and the promise of eternity. That's why, even this week, Pastor Justin uh, did Diane Hubda's funeral. Did a remarkable job, by the way. It was a great funeral. But it was such a, a joy. It was sad, and the Krogers are with us here in Hubda's. It was sad, but wasn't it a joy? <laughs> Diane professed such a faith in Christ. And, and there was just a, a, it was a beautiful thing to be part of that service. And, and that, that's what we can exude. That's what we can share with those, the hope that we have, not just for today, but for tomorrow and for eternity. The Great Commission must be our main mission. The Great Commission must be our main mission. And there's all kinds of ways by which we can go about sharing that good news. I'm going to share an account of a young lady that I read about this week. Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Miss Brenda. Miss Brenda works at the McDonald's. She is in charge of the drive-up lane. And Miss Brenda, every day when she gets out of bed, you know what her prayer is? Her prayer is, Lord, let me reach one more for you. And you may wonder, how in the world do you reach people for Christ when you're working at the drive-thru and McDonald's in Ocean Springs, Mississippi? Well, let me tell you how. When she hands off that Big Mac, supersized fries, and a large Diet Coke, she prays out loud for every individual that will let her that comes through the drive-thru. She says, yes, it takes them 15 or 20 extra seconds, but she loves doing that And people love receiving and hearing her prayers. I don't think there's a person in Ocean Springs that doesn't go to McDonald's and buy breakfast so Miss Brenda can pray over them and bless their family. And I would say that that is one of the most powerful ways that we can minister, that we can just love on people, love on the people that are in your sphere of influence, whether it's McDonald's or whether it's Lincoln High School or or whatever that is, wherever that place is that we can love on those around us and go and tell. I'm going to close with this statement, kind of a summary of the last three weeks. Knowing the Savior calls us to grow in the Savior and go for the Savior. Lord, I pray that we would indeed follow through on the vision and mission you've given to us as a church family. And I ask, Heavenly Father, for your gracious mercies now over this message that that it would accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it, that it would not return void. And Lord, start in my own heart. And Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege it is to come and to share. And now we ask, Lord, that you would apply this word to all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.